Good morning, church. It's great to be here. Good to see all of you out on this Christmas morning. Uh, still nippy and cold out there, not quite as bad as it's been the last couple days, but I uh, thank you for all making the effort and getting out here in the cold and doing what you had to. I, I know it's a, it's a million mile walk for me across the frozen tundra. Uh, I got it easy. <laughs> you all have to, a lot of other things to do to get here, and uh, we appreciate that. Beautiful day, beautiful first day of the week, uh, day of remembrance and thanking God, uh, thanking Jesus for coming to the world here and dying for us, and um, just a lot of uh, good thoughts and uh, things to think about, good memories. Uh, thinking about things of the past, always around Christmas and Thanksgiving and these times of the year. And uh, I hope you have a great, blessed day today. Hope you see your family and friends and uh, or you're able to have a great time. We're going on in our study here in the book of Luke. And uh, now, today, our theme of our lesson is Mary Rejoices. Right? She had her baby. So, really in the narrative, she's rejoicing, but uh, for us, it's Christmas Day. Jesus is born, right? He was born at uh, 7, uh, 07, right? Got to get some godly numbers in there, 7. No, we don't know what time. What if he was born at 1159? <laughs> um, we don't know that information exactly when he was born, but we do know they... He was born and uh, came into this world. And again, I don't necessarily believe it was this day, December 25th, but uh, it was probably in September, like maybe like September 9th or something like that. What do you think about that, Donna? That's my birthday. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm teasing. It was the 30th. I think it was the 30th. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was later. Uh, my dad was born on the 30th, and my mom was born on the 17th, so we got it kind of covered there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we are in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, and um, we'll be doing an expository-like lesson going down through uh, these verses and talking about them and, and seeing what we can learn. Um, lesson again is written in the NIV. I have New King James up here with me this morning. Uh, I've been trying to use this Bible, and uh, I'm sure I'll still use my New American Standard also at times, but trying to use this. The uh, aims of our, our lesson here is the lesson writer wants us to see some key reasons why Mary is rejoicing and um, praising God. And um, we see some contrasts here in this lesson from Zechariah and um, his doubting and questioning, and then also with Mary. Now, Mary had questions for Gabriel also, but a little bit different. And we know how things worked out with Zechariah. It wasn't until he was born and he said, his name's John. And wrote that, and then his mouth was open, and he was able to praise God and to worship God. But uh, the lesson writer here 
the kind of the overtone tone that I see through the lesson here is kind of showing uh, the difference between somebody who is praising God like Mary did, and some might say, oh, she was a braggart and she was bragging about what happened, that she's special and was picked and God's only begotten son came through her. And that's, that's not really how it went. And uh, we see here in this song how it's compared with other people who were proud and arrogant. And uh, they were using what they had to try to get them advancement and success and so forth. And she's like, hey, I, I thank you for bringing me up from a lowly state. And then over here, God can, is mighty and strong and he can bring these people down. And bring them and uh, remove them from being kings and princes and from their, their rule and authority. So the introduction here is called boasting or celebrating. No one likes a braggart, but most people like to celebrate accomplishments. We celebrate athletes when they win. Employees uh, are celebrated when they receive a long-awaited promotion. Parents, after they have the birth of a child, they celebrate that and are excited and tell people all the facts and everything. It's not like they're being a braggart. They're saying this is you know, what happened and whatnot. You know, and many consider it to be rude for a person to congratulate his or her own successes publicly. Even worse, we are disgusted by people who exaggerate their own accomplishments these people frequently congratulate and celebrate themselves more than doing the same for others. When people become braggarts, other people kind of cringe. They're like, you know. But instead, it's far more acceptable to celebrate the accomplishments of another person, to praise them and to recognize them. And we should do that as brothers and sisters in Christ when we see a brother or sister do something. Uh, we ought to congratulate them. We ought to get a cake with them and, and celebrate uh, you know, what they've accomplished or what they've done, and especially if it's something for the Lord and for the opportunity to be able to save souls. Now, in this context, even over-the-top bragging and praise are tolerated what Mary does here in her song. Two forms of bragging are evident in our lesson scripture today. One is directed towards God and his work. And that's what Mary's doing. You know, look at what you've done. As we read through here, you'll see that. And the other one was found among the powerful people of the world. After we read this scripture and talk about it, um, will your life follow Mary's example? as well as remaining on alert to the dangers of being filled with empty pride. Okay, so we're, that's kind of a little introduction. Our lesson context goes like this. Two out of the four Gospels, again, talk about the story of Jesus' birth. Luke, which we're going to look at, and Matthew. Matthew's account emphasizes the story of Jesus from the perspective of Joseph and what was taking place with him. And Luke's account is from the perspective of Mary. Luke's narrative begins with the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary, proclaiming that she was highly favored. 
And she's probably thinking, man, I'm young and poor and live in Nazareth. And what do you mean I'm highly favored? And what are you talking about? But the angel tells her this in Luke 1, 28. And though she was a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel proclaimed that Mary's son would be called the Son of the Most High and would someday rule as king. And not only that, he was going to bring salvation for people. Though Mary questioned Gabriel's promises there in Luke 1.34, she identified herself as a servant of the Lord. She submitted to God's will. However unexpected or seemingly unrealistic his will might have been when she heard him talking, she still submitted and said, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do this and to play my part here. After Mary received Gabriel's message, she leaves and she goes and visits her relative, uh, Elizabeth, for around, uh, I, I believe it's three months or is it three months or five months? Three. Three? Yeah, I, I think it's three months she goes and does that. During the visit, Elizabeth proclaimed to Mary and her child uh, that it would be blessed, both of them. Mary was going to be blessed. This child is going to be blessed. This unlikely virgin received blessing because she believed that God would fulfill the promises that he had made to her. In response to Gabriel's promise and Elizabeth's blessing, Mary worships God here in our text in Luke chapter 1, starting there in verse 46 down through 55. Luke 1, 46 through 55 is our text. Though not explicitly described as a song in Scripture, many students consider her worship in this text to be very similar to that of a song. If you would see it in the original language there, uh, in the Greek, I guess it kind of flowed and rhymed and the words kind of sound like a song, like she was singing a song. These uh, people that study this, because she uses the word magnify there at the beginning, they take this word and they say that this was the uh, call this song that she sings here and prays to God as the uh, Magnificat, Magnificat. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And this was, again, a title uh, taken from the first line of these scriptures. Uh, scripture includes several songs of praise from God's people. When you go and take a walk through the Old Testament, which they had, many different people sang different songs to give glory to God for who He is and also for what He has done for us. Such uh, songs would include those of Moses back in Exodus 15, 1-18. Miriam and her song after they went through uh, the sea in um, Exodus 15, 21. Deborah and uh, Barak or Baruch in Judges 5 uh, have a song that they sing when God gives them victory over the enemies. Asaph has a song in 1 Chronicles 16, 7 through 36. And Simeon, whenever he sees uh, Jesus when he comes into the temple after he's born, in Luke 2, 28 through 32, 
Those are just to mention a few of the songs. And again, some of the things that are said in those songs, we see Mary say those same types of things to God. But there's one in particular, which is actually a prayer. And um, we have a few of the ladies here that are named after this lady. Can anybody uh, know her name? Hannah? Anybody know this lady's prayer? And <clears throat> Hannah, right? First Samuel talks about this prayer of Hannah, chapter 2, 1 through 10. And it, again, it lifts up themes similar to Mary's song here in this uh, uh, Magnificat. Hannah's prayer followed her request that the Lord remember her and not forget her uh, by giving her a son. And after she becomes pregnant, after she gives birth to Samuel, then Hannah dedicated him to the Lord and prayed a word of thanksgiving to God. Hannah's prayer rejoices in God's power and might and in his concern for the poor and for the needy. As our lesson unfolds today, Mary's song will echo some of these same themes that Hannah's prayer did and some of these themes of these other songs. And uh, it will... Uh, it will also go to the, the, the climax of an extra um, all-encompassing aspect of God's salvation. That through what happens to Mary, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, is going to come. And he's going to be a savior to his people. And that's who we worship and we praise. And he's our king, seated on uh, the right hand of God right now. Uh, with all honor, glory, authority, and power. In uh, the visible realm and the invisible realm. In heaven and uh, here upon this earth. And we remember him at the Lord's Supper each first day of the week. So here we are, chapter 1, starting there in uh, verse 46. We see this worshiping of the Almighty and uh, some of the things that Mary says. And Mary says about God, Mary says about herself, Mary says about her, her son and so forth as we go down through these verses. Um, starting there in verse 46, it says, And Mary said, so now Mary's saying this. Uh, she's there at Elizabeth's house, um, and she goes and receives this blessing from Elizabeth, and she has these promises that the angel Gabriel gave her when he announced that she was going to give birth to this child. And now she is saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. Here's this, this word, magnifies. And this is where the students of the Bible come up with the, the term here of uh, magnificat uh, being the name of this song. And um, it's interesting here that she begins this by saying, her soul. So what she's saying is here that her soul, including uh, the non-physical part of her person. She has her physical part. It's magnifying God, but also her soul, her inner part. So this would mean her whole being 
is magnifying God, is praising him. So this non-physical part of her body and the invisible or the visible part of her body, um, they continually are praising here um, God. So again, we would think of Mary's whole body, her whole being. Praise God. Uh, the NIV uses the word here instead of mag- magnifies, or um, it uses the word glorifies. And again, she's glorifying, she's magnifying the name of the Lord. And uh, she gives thanks for his work and what he's doing for her and also ultimately for everyone, for the whole world. So Mary honored God and praised him because of the revelation she received regarding her pregnancy. She likely did not yet know exactly how God would work through her child. All she had on which to base her worship were Gabriel's promises and Elizabeth's blessing. Mary knew she was a favored part of God's plan, no matter how that plan would come to pass. And as a result, she is praising God with her whole being, with this magnificat. She's magnifying the name of the Lord. Now, we see this dualism or parallelism all the time in Scripture. Here's another piece of this verse just showing a parallel. Now, instead of using the word soul, she uses the word spirit. She's making sure everybody catches, you know, her soul and spirit, her inner part is uh, rejoicing and praising God. So the second part there says in verse 47, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Some interesting things here to know about, again, these words uh, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, uh, the Aramaic. But first off, again, there's this idea of spirit. So the soul, the spirit, this parallelism, very important. We see this throughout the Old Testament prophets, uh, the Psalms, and we see that here. She's following that example. And it's through uh, the subtle differences between these two that um, she goes and, again, is praising God, giving him glory, rejoicing in him for who he is and what he's done. During the New Testament era, powerful military figures and pagan gods, little g, were proclaimed to be saviors of the people. They were the ones. We came in and saved you. We conquered the enemies and got them out of the land. So we ought to be worshipped and praised and we ought to be your kings and your chieftains and uh, so forth, your emperor. Okay, we see this all through history, these people that do this. Now, for Mary, and knowing and understanding the Old Testament, the Old Testament, however, uses this same title, Savior, to refer to the God of Israel. God is called Savior because of his works of deliverance. Mary acknowledged that the deliverance she desired would not come from a military leader or a pagan little god. Instead, 
It was going to come from the one true God, the God of heaven, who had true God, the God of heaven, who had rescued the people of Israel and would be her Savior and theirs, ultimately through uh, becoming a Christian. All people can receive the Savior's salvation when they respond according to the biblical plan of salvation. We had two of our young men do that last night. Praise God. Two more additions uh, to the kingdom. Maximus and Cruz. Uh, Bill baptized them. We've been uh, waiting for them to do that. We didn't know when. Bill was able to talk with them. And yesterday was the day. They'll, they'll never forget uh, being immersed on Christmas Eve. So that's great. Praise God for the additions here. Now, God's greatness, it evokes joy, gladness, gladness amongst his people. God and his plans will not fail. And so his people can depend on him. So they need not fear. They celebrate and worship him as the one who brings salvation. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 18 uh, talks about this. <clears throat> and then... The close there, verse 48. Uh, where did I, did I miss this section there? My spirit rejoices. Um, for some reason, my, my lesson's not right. I didn't catch that. But verse 48 starts out, For he's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Um, the NIV uh, says that uh, he's mindful of the humble state. So the humble state, uh, the lowly estate, and she's just kind of saying, you know, where she is. She's, she's just a young girl, Mary. You know, she, she has no prominence. She's not Herod's daughter or, you know, the emperor's daughter or anything in this nature. She's just a, a regular young Jewish girl. And... Um, these verses here, and this verse provides Mary's reason for praising God as her Savior. She glorified her Savior who saw her in her place of lowliness. The song betrays God as a king who looks on his lowliest subjects and still regards them with favor. Mary's humble state or lowly state was because of her position in the world. She was young. She was unmarried yet. She was engaged, yes. But now she's pregnant. You know, they could have taken her and stoned her. Remember the dilemma that Joseph went through. He was going to quietly just let her go. You know, and the angel said, this is all part of God's plan. She hasn't done anything wrong. You, you keep Mary as your, your betrothed wife and marry her. We see that not only was it a lowly state because of her hometown. She's from Nazareth. And it was held in low regard by many of the Jews. Her ancestors had a history of living under a foreign rule. And by the world standards, Mary resided in a state of insignificance. Mary? Mary who? What? Mary from Nazareth? I, who's this? But remember this. Take this to an extreme over here, Mary, being this person of lowly state, humbleness. 
An attitude of humility can be found in the people whom God chooses to use. Jesus describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. His followers are called to a life of humility. God promises to lift up the humble and the lowly and offer them grace. And when his people live in humility, they can be aware to his call. She was aware. They were looking for the Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to come. She didn't realize that the Messiah was going to come through her. But as a servant of the Lord, she said, I'm lowly and I'll be your maidservant, whatever you want. I don't understand all what's happening and what's going on, but use me. Mary placed herself in obedience to God. She pledged to follow the Lord's commands so that his promises might be fulfilled in and through her obedience. God's people are not servants ignored or mistreated. Instead, his people are the recipients of his favor and his blessing. Now, the next part of verse 48 says, For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Everybody from the time of Mary are going to call her blessed. And as, <coughs> as time continues and goes on, uh, we're going to see that Mary is going to be one who's blessed and is highly favored from what happened. Future generations are going to bless her. Here we are some 2,000 years and we're blessing Mary. And we don't really think about the extreme over here of where she was, her lowly estate and humble estate, and being who she was, this virgin girl who was betrothed, who's now pregnant, that could have been taken to the elders and the priest and, and stoned, but because God was with her and God um, overshadowed her with the Holy Spirit and caused the child to be within her womb. We see here that she's going to be blessed for future generations, not because of her own efforts, but because of the ways that the Lord uses her. She gave birth to Jesus, the one who brings blessings to all generations. Through Mary's proclamation uh, and what she says here comes to pass, all people can be considered blessed by God when they hear the word of God and they obey it. She heard what Gabriel told her, and after answer to her question, she believed it and said, so be it. And the blessings that Elizabeth gives her and seeing Elizabeth being one who was beyond being able to bear children and now seeing this miracle and, and what was going on there and where John the Baptist was going to come from, from uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And now this happening here, it made it a little bit easier for her mind to settle with these thoughts and these things. And again, she's still being talked about and she's highly favored and honored and blessed amongst women, all women, because she was able to bear the Savior. She was able to bear the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus. Any comments on these first couple verses? Okay. Let's go down to verse 49 then. <clears throat> for he who is mighty 
has done great things for me. So God's the one who's mighty. He's doing these great things for her and through her. Um, Throughout Scripture, God's people proclaim His might as they worship Him. God shows His might by working great things for His people. These works involve the, the redeeming of God's people from slavery and also saving them from oppression many different times throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. And in response, God's people all experience joy and uh, their response was worship to God, making sacrifices and praising Him and thanking Him for the deliverance uh, that He was able to provide for them as their Savior. And through His mighty power, God, through His mighty power, God worked exceptionally back then, and He's also going to work exceptionally now in Mary when she gives birth to Jesus, the Son of the Most High. And now here she says, and holy is his name. Is that God's name? Holy. We come here today to worship holy. Right? Amen. Yeah, we do. She's saying God's name's holy. Scriptures say he's holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty who is, who was, who is to come. So it's interesting that she picks this term, this name, holy, for God's name. Okay, think about what that means, that he's holy. In Scripture, a person's name sometimes refers to an attribute of that person. Mary knew that God is holy, so she proclaims that his name then is the same. It's holy. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, we, we pass some things up like this, but when you really stop and you start to meditate and think about it, you're like, wow, she's saying his name's holy. Uh, very interesting. God's holiness speaks to his moral perfection. Although humans commit sin, God cannot. He is at all times morally pure and upright. He desires that his people practice holiness as well. And he's holy. And what he's doing here, he's doing a holy thing for all humanity. He's doing a holy thing. He's a holy God. And what he's doing for Mary lifting her from this humble state, this lowly estate, to be one now that's going to be blessed throughout all generations of people that are on earth till the end. Isn't that wonderful? And if she's just saying this, these things prophetically, because maybe she's full of the Holy Spirit, or if she's singing it, like Miriam or Deborah or others in the Old Testament that sang these types of, of songs of praise to God. Uh, I'd, I'd love, if it's a song, I'd love to hear the music, the harp playing, and hear her singing this and how it would sound in the, the original language. I'm sure uh, it was beautiful. Any comments there? Okay, verse 50 says here, and his mercy 
is on those who fear him. So she's saying she fears him. And, any, and everybody out there in the world who fear him and respect him and give him reverence and awe and know that he's the one who created us, but he's also the one that can end our lives. And ultimately, we're going to stand before him and we're going to be given life eternal or we're going to be given eternal punishment forever at the judgment. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation, and it should be. Aren't there not many people out there in the world? They have no fear of God. They don't believe God. They don't believe the Bible, or this place would be packed. Right? Where are they? Where are they in the other churches? Okay, that, yes, there are those who, who fear him and honor him and respect him, but there's others that ah, don't mean anything. <clears throat> Jumping down now to verse 51 through the close here, 55 of what we're going to look at, uh, we see the work uh, of the Almighty. Verse 51 says, he has shown strength with his arm. God shows strength with his arm. Hmm, God have an arm? God have a leg? God have a head? God have eyes? God have tongue? God have ears? Bibles say these different things, right? But that's uh, anthropomorphic writing, trying to explain something spiritual because God is spirit with fleshly terms that we understand. Uh, the first time that I read this and uh, studying it, he has shown strength with his arm. I immediately thought of the strong arm of the Lord, his might, his power. His controlling influence in the universe and in the world. His ability to be able to make things like this happen. This girl was a virgin. Never been with a man. And now she's going to give birth to the God of the universe. Only the mighty arm of God. Only the mighty power of God in his creating and controlling the laws of the universe. And physics and science and so on and so forth that are above and beyond our mind and our scope, he is able to do. You see, he has shown strength with his arm, a power. The lesson writer here says, God, though God is spirit, the scriptures frequently describe his attributes in terms of human characteristics. This is known as anthropomorphic language. The arm of God describes his might and control in the world. Previously, Mary proclaimed God's might, and this same might would also be directed toward people who exalt themselves. In contrast to the people who fear God and follow his commandments are the proud people. Because of their pride attitudes and lives, these people disregard God and his authority they rely on their own ability, their own power, their own name to be able to find success in the world's eyes. 
But is it really going to do anything if they don't repent or become a Christian? No, they're going to burn in the lake of fire. You know, it's the, the, the bragging. It's the attitude that Mary has about God. And that attitude that's the right type of pride to be able to have. Not that pride of the world. Scripture lists pride as a sin found in people who refuse to follow God. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He does not tolerate prideful people. He promises to punish them for their sin. And Mary's song portrays prideful people as God's enemies. And he would strike them down, these proud people. And he'll scatter them throughout the world in defeat. Not only is pride evident in a person's actions, but it can also be found in the inmost parts, in the imaginations of our heart. You see, these things are in there in these these prideful people. You see, these things will control these people's actions and so forth. And these things can control our actions and lives also. So we need to make sure we're on the right side of that in the imaginations of our hearts and our thoughts. The Greek word here is, uh, is thoughts. And it can refer again to our mind and our heart and our understanding. Prideful people express arrogance uh, through their actions and through their hearts and minds. But we can also praise God and we can worship God through our minds and our hearts and uh, our imaginations. Any comments there on verse 51? Okay, how about verse 52? It says, He has put down the mighty from their thrones. See, these prideful people that have gotten to these states because of maybe their might or their armies that are backing them or uh, teaming up with the right allies as they went and fought in war or whatever. He says that his, his might and his power is so much better, Mary's saying, that uh, he can bring these people off of their thrones. He can eliminate them from controlling the countries and uh, the provinces and the uh, republics and so forth that uh, right now they may uh, be holding. And what can he do? He can bring those people down, but he exalts the lowly. He exalts the Marys. He brings them from their humble, lowly estate so that they're blessed and remembered forever and ever. And these people can be brought down and their countries forgot about. They're no more out there in existence. We don't even know the names of their kings and their people, and they're not talked about. But Mary's talked about all the time by those who are religious and uh, worship God. You see, mighty rulers in the world frequently show pride when they appeal to their own power and authority. However, these rulers fail to recognize the true source of their power, the God who disposes kings and raises up others, Daniel's chapter 2, verse 21. When prideful people fail to acknowledge God as the one who allows and provides their authority and influence, 
He will bring them down. He'll bring them down from their thrones of power. The same God who brings down proud and mighty rulers also shows concern toward the people whom the world would consider to be in a humble standing or a humble place in the world. But God has lifted up the humble by promising them favor. Mary's saying this promise because she experienced these promises firsthand. Though she was lowly, God highly favored her and exalted her. One part of God's work in the world is to debase the proud while providing salvation to the humble. They're the ones who can hear. The ones that are proud and have all the military might and the money and the force, they figure I can do it myself. No, you can't. There's no money amount on being able to pay to be able to go to heaven. It doesn't matter if you own this whole world and you've been able to defeat every other enemy out there in this world. It it doesn't mean anything. But it's the people that can hear him, hear his call, see his plan of salvation and are obedient. And like Mary say, "Here, here I am, I'm your servant, I'm your maidservant, I'll do whatever you want. We need to have that attitude and, and, and mindset and those actions in our life. Here we are, Lord. We hear you. We'll, we'll do what you want. How do you want us to serve? How can you use us? You know, sh- show me my gifts or abilities and talents that I have and show me how to sharpen them and to make them better. Show me where my weaknesses are, where I can try to learn and to get better in those areas of my life and my existence. Why? Not to exalt me and to lift my name up, but to see souls won for the kingdom and to see the church grow so that more souls are in heaven and and, uh, more able to be snatched out of the fire before it's too late. Any comments or questions there on 52? Okay, running out of time. I'm going to switch into uh, overdrive. Uh, Verse 53 He has put down the mighty from their thrones, exalted the lowly. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. Hmm, I wonder if Mary's saying she's been hungry. She's had things that were lacking and uh, missing. And now God, he's good. He's going to fill her belly. He's going to bless her. If she keeps her part, God's going to keep his part. And then it says, and the rich... He'll send away empty. Why, they, they, they have all their ducks and deer and pheasants and pigs and all the, their food and enough for all their uh, governors and people and uh, military leaders and stuff that work with them. And they can have that and they may gorge themselves. But you know what? They can still walk away empty, hungry, still not satisfied. But God, he's able to satisfy us. He's able to fill us. He's able to give us the things of life that we need. Verse 54 says, he has helped his servant Israel. You just go back through the Old Testament scriptures. See all the ways that he helped them in the Garden of Eden and uh, through the flood. Uh, through the wilderness wanderings, the many different judges that had to fight and win battles, um, the way they were able to conquer uh, David and uh, the times when he was king. Uh, 
See, he's helped uh, the, his servant Israel. He calls them his servant. They're there to work. They're there for a purpose. They're there ultimately to bring the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world where we could look at the genealogies and track back Joseph's line and Mary's line and see how they go back into the family of David and how the Messiah was promised to come from them. And in remembrance of his mercy, she remembers his mercy and all the stories in that that she's been taught when she was young. And she remembers these things and now she's, these things are lifting her up and causing her to magnify God and rejoice saying, wow, God's mercy's fallen on me and, and look at what's being said uh, by this angel and ultimately uh, God through the angel Gabriel to me. And then she says there in the last verse, as he spoke to our fathers, all the different fathers, who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so on, all down through the line. And she brings up Abraham here. To Abraham and his seed forever. Abraham is the father of the faithful. He's our father. He was faithful. Yeah, he made some mistakes. He did some things were wrong. But look ultimately back there in Genesis 12 and the promises of the nation and then so forth and the blessing that was going to come from him. Now we see that fulfillment where here's Mary and we see Jesus being born and him being the savior of the world and being able to bring a blessing uh, that can last forever and ever in eternity. Thank you, Mary, for doing what you did and being obedient to God. Thank you, God, for using Mary and working out your plan and sending your son. Christmas, Jesus, again, is the reason for this season and this time. And we need to uh, brag and to praise and exalt and lift up God and Jesus forever. And again, we need to be servants, allowing him to use us in whatever capacities he can and not try to make ourselves look good or puff up our names or see our heads swell up. We shouldn't be like that, according to this song. Any comments, questions? Okay, let's close in prayer. It's uh, 20 after right now, and we'll get ready for our worship time. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for Luke, uh, the doctor here, penning these uh, words through inspiration of the Holy Spirit and telling us this uh, Magnificat of Mary, this song that uh, she sings. And um, what a wonderful blessing you gave her, and we're still talking about her and showing that uh, she's highly exalted and blessed uh, by you by having a, your only begotten son come to this world through her. Yes, you could have chosen any other woman, but you didn't. You chose Mary. And we thank you, Mary, for what you've done, and we thank you, Jesus, for allowing these things to transpire and take place. Help us as we worship you this day, and help us uh, every day to worship you and to praise you. And we ask and pray that we would be the Christians that you've called us to be. We love you, and we Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.